right, good morning, everybody. If we'll turn our Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 22, we'll finish up this book. A couple announcements while you're turning there. Uh, we've been sending out emails, and if you're not on our email list, you can go to ccmaryville.com and go to our forms page there and just sign up for emails, and we'll get you on that list so you can be updated as to what's going on here at Calvary Chapel over the next few weeks while we're apart. Next week is Easter. We'll be having communion in kind of a funny way. You'll have to provide your own stuff. So go to Walmart with your masks on and get some saltines and some grape juice, and we'll have communion at that time. It's also kind of a special service. We've got some neat things planned as far as videos from other people that go to our fellowship, kind of mixing all that in there, and it, it ought to be a good time. And so um, looking forward to celebrating with you virtually our Savior's uh, being risen from the dead. Um, let's pray and we'll get started. Lord, we thank you for this morning, a beautiful sunny day. We're thankful that we're able to meet like this. Although not perfect, it certainly is having much fruit as we've had several people accept you as their Lord and Savior. And how exciting that is that this new uh, difficulty, this trial in our lives is actually producing fruit for your kingdom. And so God, whatever your will is, we submit to it. This morning, as your word speaks to our heart, we pray your Holy Spirit would be our teacher and our guide, would lead us into all truth, uh, that we'd understand it in our hearts, that the word, your word, would be buried like good seed down in deep, good soil, that would have deep roots and uh, bear much fruit in our lives. Lord, we love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is one of those excellent chapters. I was so excited as I was studying for it. It's about God sending a lying spirit. Now, at first, it's a little, as a pastor, a little daunting to think about how am I going to teach everybody that it's okay that God sends a lying spirit? But, of course, as you study and you, you, you research it and you let the Holy Spirit teach you personally as a pastor, um, it becomes very exciting because it's God's Word. He's not hiding it. It's out in the open. Um, he's revealing Himself to us, and that's exciting to see. And so I pray that as we go through this 22, we're not confused by the fact that God sends out a lying spirit, but are encouraged by it and can see the purposes that God has for it. It's hard to understand why God has a purpose for what we're going through right now, but he does. Uh, that's a fact. Um, things are changing in my life personally, and I know they're changing in your life too. Now, some people are realizing for the first time maybe their faith wasn't as strong as they thought it was. Their physical health was more important than their spiritual health, and they're starting to wake up to that. And that's a good thing. We need these fiery trials and shouldn't be surprised by them, according to Peter. When they come upon us, they teach us what's really there. Um, there's a, a way they used to refine wine. They would take the wine and pour it into a barrel until all the dregs and all the uh, scum would settle to the bottom and purify itself. And then once that would happen, they'd pour it into the next one. And then it would settle a little more. And that's what's happening. That pot is being poured right now. And dregs are showing up that we didn't know were in our lives. And God is showing those to us and say, these need to go. We need to purify a little bit. So it's a good thing. So chapter 22, verse 1 begins like this. Now, three years passed without war between Syria and Israel. Then it came to pass in the third year that Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went down to visit the king of Israel. Now, Jehoshaphat is the guy who's in charge of Judah, the southern tribes. And then, of course, Ahab is still the king of the northern tribes. And so Jehoshaphat, he's a good guy. We're going to read about that right now. If you 
forward, just go forward a few more verses to verses 41 through 50. It's at the end of this chapter, but I thought this is a good time to read them. It describes him, Jehoshaphat, and his heart towards God. Verse 41, Jehoshaphat, the son of Asa, had become king over Judah in the fourth year of Ahab, king of Israel. Jehoshaphat was 35 years old when he became king, and he reigned 25 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Azubah, the daughter of Shelai. And as he walked in all the ways of his father, and he walked in all the ways of his father Asa, he did not turn aside from them, doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. So there we see some of his character, that he was trying to follow the Lord, but not perfectly. The next verse says, Nevertheless, the high places were not taken away, for the people offered sacrifices and burned incense on the high places. Also, Jehoshaphat made peace with the king of Israel, which is what we were just reading. Jehoshaphat, although there's a civil war in Israel, they wanted to be ruled by this king, and the other folks wanted to be ruled by this king. He says, we should be together at least. We should be brothers. Um, and, and although it's distant, they're still relatives. Um, we should be one kingdom. But since we're not, I'm going to make peace. And of course, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. It's a natural thing for a child of God to be a peacemaker. They're, they're not a divisive person. They don't want to bring problems and difficulties onto other people. They want to bring peace and make other people's lives easier. And so Jehoshaphat is showing that in his relationship with God. Verse 45, now the rest of the acts of Jehoshaphat, the might that he had shown uh, and how he had made war, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Judah? And the rest of the perverted persons who remained in the days of his father Asa, he banished from the land. There was then no king in Edom, only the deputy of the king. Jehoshaphat made merchant ships to go after Ophir of gold, for gold, but they never but they never sailed, for the ships were wrecked uh, by uh, Ezion uh, Geber. Then Ahazai, the son of Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, Let my servants go with your servants to the ships, but Jehoshaphat would not. And Jehoshaphat rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David, his father. Then Jehoram, his son, reigned in his place. So some background there. Since that was at the end, I thought we'd read that now before we get into it. So that now we know his character. We know Jehoshaphat's character. So he goes to visit the king of Israel. How are you doing? Well, you got to break some ice here. So there was a probably long feast, some conversation uh, we see here in this text that they're going to pull up a another throne next to the uh, next to King Ahab, and the, both kings will be sitting on separate thrones. And so um, they're just kind of getting to know each other again. And so King Ahab says this. Now, it doesn't mention his name here, but that's who we're talking about. And the king of Israel, that's Ahab, said to his servants, Do you know that Ramoth and Gilead is ours? But we hesitate to take it out of the hand of the king of Syria. So we said to Jehoshaphat, Will you go with me to fight at Ramoth, Gilead? Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, I am as you are. My people is your people. My horses is your horses. So Jehoshaphat said to the king of Israel, please inquire of the word of the Lord today. Now, awkward moment. Hey, just coming to visit you, see how you're going. Uh, how's your kingdom going? It's been a long time since we've hung out. Hey, yeah, pull up a chair. They're sitting next to each other. And then the king of Israel, Ahab, uses the opportunity to find an adversary, an, an ally in this fight against this city that he's not able to take or hasn't taken yet. And so in the middle of this wonderful little get-together or the breaking of the ice, 
Ahab looks over at his own countrymen and says, you know, there's this city that we're not able to get. Isn't that hot, odd? Hey, hey, th- off subject, do you want to help me fight these guys? Now, putting him on the spot, I mean, what do you do? So he says, yeah, of course. I mean, that's what this whole trip was about. My soldiers are your soldiers. My horses are your horses. But can we ask God first whether we should go up? That's interesting. And that's the point. Jehoshaphat does worship the true and living God. Ahab does not worship the true and living God. So Jehoshaphat is hoping that he'll get out of this, saying, let's ask God about this. Let's find out what God wants to say. Now, in Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 7, it says this, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. It's a common verse. We all know it. We've probably memorized it, some of us. Maybe we even have it on a plaque in our house. But how often do we actually use it? This is obviously a great time to use it during our virus days here, during our quarantine. We're not to be anxious for anything. So if I'm anxious, I'm not supposed to be, according to God's word, even about this. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. I think the key word there is request, not demands. I make my requests be made known to God. I let God answer how he wants to answer. Here's what's on my heart. Here's what I'm thinking about being anxious about, but I don't want to be anxious, so I'm going to bring it up to you, God. Here's my problem. And we all have kind of a common problem right now. I have no anxiety about this virus. I have none. I know a lot of people do, but I don't. Um, I have strong opinions about it, but I don't think it does any good for me to share them at this point because not everybody's in that place where they want to be taught or they want to learn or they want to listen. So I go to God's word. I don't have to explain it. You don't have to hear it from me. God tells you not to be anxious about anything, but by prayer and supplication, make a request be made known to God with thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for what you're doing. I see your hand in all this. I see how you can turn this out for good, how you can use this trial in my life and in the world's life to bring things about for your kingdom. I'm excited about this. So I'm going to make a request, but you answer it how you want to, God. And when I make that request and I submit in my heart all these things that I want to be anxious about to the king of the universe, verse 7, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Once I surrender this over to the Lord, God guards my heart and my mind and gives me a peace that doesn't match up with the facts around me or with the situation around me. It surpasses understanding. I want that peace. I know we all do. So do that verse. That's what Jehoshaphat is doing. Let's ask God. Let's make our request be made known to God. Let's find out what he wants to do. Let's be led by his spirit on this matter. So verse 6. Then the king of Israel, that's Ahab, gathered the prophets together, about 400 men, and said to them, Shall I go against Ramoth-Gilead to fight, or shall I refrain? And these 400 prophets said, Go up, for the Lord will deliver it into into the hand of the king. And Jehoshaphat said, Is there not still a prophet of the Lord here that we may inquire of him? Those two words and those two verses there are different. The word Lord and Lord. The first one that Ahab uses is a a symbol of authority, and he's not talking about the true and living God. These are the 400 prophets that we previously heard about, the prophets of Asherah. 
Let me read to you some verses we've already read, but to remind ourselves in 1 Kings chapter 18, verses 18 through 19. This is when Elijah's on top of Mount Carmel is going to have a, a fight with all the other prophets to show that he alone with his God can defeat all these other prophets. Here's what it says. And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you, your father's house, you and your father's house have, and that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed Baals. Now, therefore, send and gather all Israel to me on Mount Carmel, the 450 prophets of Baal, that's one group, and those are the folks that were slaughtered after this battle, and the 400 prophets of Asherah who eat at Jezebel's table. I believe those 400 prophets back in 18 are these 400 prophets here in 22. They have not forsaken these other gods. They have not forsaken these other many lower case G gods. And so that's who's standing before him right now. And Jehoshaphat, who knows the true and living God, uses a different word, Lord. It's all caps, which is the tetragrammaton it's called. It's the actual name of the Lord. It's either Jehovah or Yahweh. We don't know how uh, it's pronounced necessarily, but it's the true and living God. So we asked this king, don't we have anybody that actually worships God to answer for God? That's his question. I understand all these 400 are really excited about us to go up in the name of the Lord, but I don't want to worship their little G God. I want to know the truth from the true and living God. Are there any prophets left from his camp? So verse 8, the king of Israel, Ahab, said to Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, there is still one man, Micaiah, the son of uh, Imlah, by whom we may inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he does not prophesy good concerning me, but evil. And Jehoshaphat said, let not the king say such things. See, that's the rub. That's the problem. I want to hear the truth, but I don't want to hear the truth. I want to hear the truth if it's favorable towards me, but I do not want to hear the truth if it's not favorable towards me. And that is our problem in this world that's our problem as Christians sometimes, but it's definitely the problem of the rest of the world that will not receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. Yeah, yeah, I like it when Jesus is nice. I like it when he's feeding 5,000, but I don't like it when he's flipping over the money changers' tables and using a whip of cords to drive them out of the temple. That part bothers me. I don't like it when he says that you guys, your father is Satan. I, I, that bothers me. It's kind of rough. They don't like the truth about their sin. They just want love and affection and the condoning of their sin. That's the problem. So, yeah, we could ask this guy. There is one prophet left who can do it, but he always says evil stuff about me. Well, Ahab, if you weren't evil, he wouldn't say evil stuff about you. If you didn't have that sin in your life, he wouldn't be talking about that sin in your life. Some, some things that the New Testament tells us, and I think is very applicable today, is 2 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 through 3. Now, I'm going to read it out of two versions. The first one is the New King James Version. The second one is the New Living Translation. Not much difference, but enough to give us some clarity here. So I'm going to read both. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. I charge you, therefore, this is Paul writing to young Pastor Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come where they will not endure sound doctrine, 
but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. People aren't going to want to hear the truth in the last days. They don't want to hear about sin. They don't want to hear about repentance. They want to hear fluffy stuff. They want to go to a church that makes them feel like they've had a pep talk, like a coach at halftime. Instead of the truth, I want to know where I'm at. I want to know where I stand with God. I want to know how far along this road I am with Jesus and what needs to change in my life. I want to know the truth. I don't want to be lied to, but that's the struggle. In the New Living Translation, it says this, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God in Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead, when he comes to set up his kingdom, preach the word, be prepared, whether its time is favorable or not, patiently correct, rebuke, encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. What a dangerous time we live in. As we move closer and closer to the return of Jesus Christ, this is going to become more and more common, where people will leave churches because they were offended at the truth. God's word was wonderful, provided it wasn't pointed at me, provided there wasn't any rebuke from me. We had a great friendship going until that pastor said that thing or that one passage. I can't believe that he believes that. It's like I was pointed out or singled out in the crowd. Hey, Folks, as pastors, we don't think about you when we're preparing our studies. We just get ready, we read what the Bible says, and we teach what the Bible says. If it happens to hit home, praise the Lord. But we didn't have you in mind when we were studying. We're just teaching what God's Word says. And we pray that the Holy Spirit would change our hearts, would be that living sword, that two-edged sword that's able to cut between the joint and the marrow, between the soul and the spirit, discerning the hearts and intents of men. That's what we want the Word of God to do. Even David knew this. We all love David. David's the little guy with the sling who took care of Goliath and was a mighty king, made some mistakes along the way, obviously, some sins. But we love the fact that he writes in the Psalms, search me and know me, oh God. God, I want you to come into my life and search me. Because if I do a self-evaluation, I'm awesome. But if I do a God evaluation, things are a little different. They're more honest. I hate it when people tell me that I'm wrong. I hate it when people tell me my weak spots are blind spots. Nobody likes that, but they're still there. And to be ignorant of those blind spots, to be ignorant of our sins, doesn't help us. We need to know. There's a custom, I've spoken about this before, and it was all over the world, but it's still very prevalent in the Asian countries, where if a person is terminally ill, when they see their physician, oftentimes... The physician will speak with the other family members first to let them know this person's terminally ill. Do you want me to tell them? There's actually an option where the patient doesn't get told their true condition. Now, some of us out there would like that. I understand. So I don't want to know that I've got that. I'd rather just, you know, die hunting or fishing someday and not know that I had stage four cancer or whatever it may be that I have. But a lot of us want to know the truth. I want to know exactly what I have. I want to know how much time I have. I want to say everything I wanted to say. I wanted to do everything I wanted to do. And if there's something I can do to change it, I want to do that. Now, let me add a step to that. Suppose the physician brings in the family members and says, this person has a serious illness, but there's a cure. Do you want me to tell them? What an 
What a ridiculous thought. What patient out there plugs their ears and says, I know I'm sick, I know I'm sick, but I don't want to know about the cure. The entire world is infected, not with COVID. It's infected with sin. And it's a terminal illness, spiritually speaking. We're so concerned right now with our physical health. Are we even thinking about our spiritual health? You may survive COVID. We may all survive COVID and probably will survive COVID. But are we going to survive to go to hell? If there's a cure, and there is, to my sin problem, I want to know about it because I want to take that medicine. The cure is Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. If you haven't made that decision yet today, let me tell you something. As a spiritual physician, I know that God's the one physician, but on his behalf, let me tell you, you're dying. You have a serious terminal condition called sin in your life. And if you have not taken the cure, you need to today. And if no pastor's ever told you that, as long as you've been in church, I'm sorry that I'm the first one to tell you this. You need to be born again. You must receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you will not go to heaven and you will die terminally. God's word says so. That's our diagnosis. But the prognosis, the cure, it's 100% effective. Every single person that's ever taken the cure to our sin, Jesus Christ, Lord and Savior of our lives, is completely healed. It's as if the disease never existed. The first thing we got to know, though, before we can receive the cure is that we're sick. And that's all I'm here to tell you. We have a problem. We have sin. We're in rebellion against God. We do what we want to do. We find people that'll tell us that's okay. And we do not want to hear the truth. Well, this morning you're hearing the truth. You need Jesus Christ. You need to be cured. You're sick. Now, come to the hospital. Well, you can't come to the hospital. Come to the virtual hospital where everybody here, our gowns are open and back like everybody else's. We're all exposed here, but we're getting better. We're getting healed. Please get healed. Please receive Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, if you haven't already. That's all Jehoshaphat wants to know. I want to know the truth. I don't want to go into battle blind. I don't want to go into the battle not knowing the outcome when there's a way to find out the outcome. So let's ask this one guy that knows the Lord if God wants us to go. Verse 9. Then the king of Israel called an officer and said, Bring Micaiah, the son of Imlah, quickly. The king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, having put on their robes, sat each on his throne at a threshing floor at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets prophesied before them. So they're waiting for this man of God to show up, but all these 400 prophets are still doing their thing, trying to convince them. Now, Zedekiah, the son of Shenanani, I don't know how to pronounce that, nor do I care, had made horns of iron for himself, and he said, Thus says the Lord, with these you shall gore the Syrians until they are destroyed. He's a very theatrical prophet. He's got these iron horns, and he's running around saying, this is what it's going to be like. You're going to really gore them, buddy. And all the prophets prophesied so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What, what that guy said, Zedekiah. Go up to Ramoth Gilead and prosper, for the Lord will deliver it into the king's hand. It's going to be great. Then the messenger... Meanwhile, back on the ranch, the messenger has reached the true prophet, had gone to call, uh, I keep pronouncing his name funny, but I know it's Isaiah, so Micaiah spoke to him saying, now listen, 
The words of the prophets with one accord encourage the king. Please let your word be like the word of one of them and speak encouragement. And Micaiah said, as the Lord lives, whatever the Lord says to me, that I will speak. I couldn't be more excited about that verse. I underline that. I circle that as a pastor. I love that verse. The messenger says, hey, everybody's giving encouraging words today. Please give encouraging words today. And the prophet says, I'm going to tell people what God tells me to say, not what you tell me to say. What a fantastic heart. What a fantastic shepherd of the people of Israel to say, I'm going to do exactly what God wants me to do, despite the peer pressure to give in, to cave in, to social whatever, so that you don't offend people in church. What a fantastic man of God. I'm proud to know many fantastic men of God, even in our city, Maryville here, that would just love the opportunity for someone to come up to them and say, hey, do you mind not sharing the truth? Would you just kind of smooth it over and make it encouraging? They'd laugh in their faces. It's wonderful. Here's a scripture to go along with that from the New Testament. Acts chapter 5, verses 25 through 29. So one came and told them, the disciples, or the, the, actually the religious rulers of the day, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. And the captain went with his officers and brought them without violence, for they feared the people, lest they should be stoned. And when they had brought them, the, the disciples, they set them before the council. And the high priest asked them, these disciples, saying, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in his name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us. And Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. Yes, you know, love that. Well, that's what this guy just got. Old Testament, same heart. I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I'm not for hire. Verse 15. Then he, the prophet, came to the king. Now there's two kings sitting there, right? Now it's singular, he came to the king of Israel because it's the king of Israel's messengers that brought him. And really this message is straight to the king of Israel. Jehoshaphat knows better. That's why he's asked for this guy to come. That's kind of behind the scenes. So here's what's happening. Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead or shall we refrain? This is Ahab saying this. And he answered him, go and prosper for the Lord will deliver it into the hand of the king. Wait a minute. That's not what I thought you were going to say. So the king, Ahab, said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? He doesn't buy it. The king Ahab, who says, I don't want to hear the truth from this guy. I want to hear what the 400 prophets are saying. When this guy, a prophet of the true and living God, comes up to him and says the same thing as the other 400, he looks at him and says, you're lying. I know you're lying. He wants to make him swear. Swear to me you're telling me the truth. He knows. Guys, it doesn't matter what church we go to, if they're preaching the truth or if they're not preaching the truth. And here's what I mean by that. Because the Holy Spirit will not let you go into the night not convicted. You may have a flowery guy standing up there saying, you're all positive, encouraging, and you're all going to be blessed, and God's not going to do anything, and everybody's saved, and nobody's going to go to hell, and that's all a myth, and don't worry about revelation, none of that's all okay. In your heart, you know it's not true. In your heart, you want to nod and smile and say, oh, good, that's reassuring, but it doesn't last because the Holy Spirit comes alongside of us. Nothing can stop him to convict us 
of our need for a savior. He convicts us of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And he does that if we won't do it as pastors, he'll do it in spite of us. So no matter who's sitting in what crowd anywhere, the Holy Spirit is very active. Now, eventually, if you tell him to shut up enough times, that's fine. Have it your way. We see that too many times in Scripture where God just says, I'm not going to argue with you anymore. If you want what you want, have what you want. Oftentimes in Scripture, we get turned over. The sinner gets turned over to their flesh for the destruction of their flesh. If that's what they want, let them have their fill of it until they come back to me humble. If they don't want me, if they don't want the truth, if they want lies, if they want to sin without any conviction, do it. Read Romans chapter 1, the decay of any society. Let them have it until they're so broken that they come back to me and say, we're wrong, we want to hear the truth, we want to obey the truth, we know that you love us, but you got to reach the bottom. He says, you're going to have to swear to me, I don't buy it. You don't. Verse 17, so he says this, you want to know the truth? I saw all Israel scattered on mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, these have no master. Let each return to his house in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me, but evil? You can't win. See, I knew, I knew he was lying. He's got it in for me. He says that all the nation of Israel is going to be scattered with no leader. I'm the leader. I'm the one who's going to die in this. And he's elbowing Jehoshaphat next to him. Jehoshaphat's probably skipped maybe about three steps to the right of this guy, kind of looking at him out of the side of his eye. I don't want to get too close to you, man. Did I not tell you he would not prophesy good concerning me but evil? That's amazing to me. I want to know the truth, but it better be what I want to hear. How do you win? How does anybody that wants to preach the word, the truth, win? You don't. You win with God. You may have friends and family that you've been trying to minister to for the longest time, and they will not receive it. Every time I do something, there you are, Debbie Downer, always trying to make me feel bad about myself. You've always got a scripture to share with me. Well, I mean, yeah, because what you're doing is destructive, because you're in harm's way. Um, you're drowning. You're dying. I'm trying to save you. I'm trying to help you. Don't tell me I'm drowning. Let me drown. I knew they'd let me drown. You can't win. But what you can do is be pleasing to God. What does God want you to do? What does God call us to do? You may not have anybody in your town that's preaching the truth anymore. I don't know. I hope that's not the case. But you're there. Preach the truth. Tell people the truth about the Lord in a loving, patient, kind, gentle way. But truthfully, we need a Savior. I need a Savior. I'm not better than you. I'm not judging you. I'm judging us. God's word judges us. We've sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's provided a solution. That's wonderful. And we should thank him for it and receive that solution. Verse 19. Then Micaiah said, therefore, hear the word of the Lord. So now he's going to give him the background information on why he gave the first prophecy to go ahead. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne. When I went into the presence of the Lord and was finding out what God wanted me to say to you, here's what I saw. He's given him, this is exactly what happened. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne and all the host of heaven standing by on his right hand and on his left. And the Lord said, 
Who will persuade Ahab to go up that he may fall at Ramoth Gilead? So one spoke in this manner and another spoke in that manner. Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I'll persuade him. The Lord said to him, in what way? So he said, I will go out and by a lying spirit in the mouth of, I'll put a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. And the Lord said, you shall persuade him and also prevail. Go out and do so. Therefore, look, the Lord has put a lying spirit in the mouth of all these prophets of yours. And the Lord has declared disaster against you. That lying spirit, how does God do that? God's done that from the beginning. In the garden, we had an opportunity to eat of the tree of life, but then there's this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat that tree. A choice was was given to us. Be in uh, obedience to me and eat of all the fruit that you want of any of the other trees you want, including the tree of life, Just don't eat of that one tree. All the others okay, one not okay. Which one do we go to? We went to the one that we're not supposed to. The choice, the option to be in rebellion against God, the choice to be disobedient to the one who loves us the most. That's the one we pick. As much as I would love for God to remove all opportunity of sin in my life, to take away all choices to sin against him, I would love for him just to come into my life to rule and reign and don't give me any say in the matter at all. He won't do it. He loves me. He wants me to love him. Not because I'm a robot pre-programmed and forced, but because I choose to. That's the choice. God lays before us a path, he tells us, one of death and one of life. It's up to us to choose which one we're going to take. The path of death is in rebellion against God. The path of life is in obedience to God. The same path is set before everybody that's watching this right now. Every one of us has that opportunity. In fact, not only once, but every single day, we have that opportunity to live in rebellion against God or in obedience to to God. It's up to us to make that choice. It's the loving choice. God so loved the world first that while we were still enemies with him, he sent his only son to die on the cross for our sins. If anybody needed to demonstrate their love first, it was him, and he did so. Look, I'm going to let my son die on your behalf. Now he's waiting for a response. Will you receive that gift from me? Will you receive that grace and that mercy that I offer through my son Jesus? Will you receive it? Yes, of course we will. That's the loving choice to choose life. I love you. I don't want you to die. I'll send my son to die instead of you. Will you accept this path of life that is only through him? Yes, I'll accept this path of life that's only through Jesus. I submit my life to you this morning, God. I give my life over to you, Jesus. I believe I've sinned against you in thought, word, and deed. And I believe that you died on the cross for all of those sins, past, present, and future, And this morning, I received that forgiveness that you're offering to me for free. Thank you for that forgiveness, God. Thank you that you love me so much that you did this for me. I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Now, not only are you my Savior, I want you to truly be Lord, King. Would you lead and guide me like Jehoshaphat here, asking of you, should I go this way? Should I go that way? Please rule and reign in my life, Lord. I want you to be truly Lord of my life. I surrender the throne of my heart to you. Hmm. a lying spirit. It's a choice. You can go up, you can fight, or you can obey me and not go. But since you only want to hear what you want to hear, I'll let you hear what you want to hear. 
And this lying spirit only fulfills what Ahab had in his heart. I don't want the truth. Please lie to me. Wish granted. Verse 24. Now Zedekiah, the son of uh, Chenaniah, went near and struck Micaiah on the cheek and said, which way did the spirit from the Lord go for me to speak to you? So some guy walks up and smacks him on the side of the head, the, the true prophet. And I don't know how I would have done in that situation. That's why God doesn't put me in those situations probably. But Micaiah does this. Indeed, you shall see on that day when you go into the inner chamber to hide, still doubling down on it. Not like, oh, don't beat me again. I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said those things. He goes, man, you're going to be running for your life in a few days. You're going to be running for your life. So the king of Israel said, take this, Micaiah, and return him to Ammon, the governor of the city, and to Joash, the king's son, and say to him, thus says the king, put this fellow in prison and feed him with the bread of affliction and water of affliction until I come in peace. In other words, torture this guy till I show up in peace. You're going to pay for what you said to me. You're going to be punished for preaching the truth. So he doubles, or this is triple down now, isn't it? But Micaiah said, if you ever return in peace, the Lord has not spoken by me. And he said, take heed, all you people. I like this guy a lot. He looks him right in the face. He says, if you return in peace, then I am a liar because you're not going to return in peace because I've spoken, thus saith the Lord, and God is truth, and you're a liar. And he calls him on it. And then he looks at everybody in the room. You can just see him looking around as he's being handcuffed and drug off. Take heed, all you people. And they're all like, oh, man, this is going to go bad. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, went up to Ramoth Gilead. Dumb move. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will disguise myself and go into battle, but you put on your robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Now, I don't know what Jehoshaphat was thinking. <laughs> you go in like a king and everybody's aiming for the king when you go into battle, but I'm going to hide and pretend like I'm not a king. Do you mind? And for some reason, Jehoshaphat says, yeah, that's a great idea. I'll be the target. I don't know. He's really taking this peace thing a step further than I would have. Now, the king of Syria, this is who they're fighting against, had commanded the 32 captains of his chariot, saying, fight with no one, small or great, but only with the king of Israel. So it was. When the captains of the chariots saw Jehoshaphat, dressed up like a king, they thought it was Ahab, and they said, surely it is the king of Israel. Therefore, they turned aside to fight against him, and Jehoshaphat cried out. And it happened. When the captains of the chariots saw that it was not the king of Israel, that they uh, turned back from pursuing him. Now, a certain man some guy out there in the battle drew a bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the joints of his armor. So he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around and take me out of the battle for I am wounded. This is the guy who's hidden. He's dressed up like a regular guy and some random guy shoots an arrow up in the air, goes in between the joints of his armor and is going to kill this Ahab. See, God's word will come to pass. He had a plan. Okay, God says I'm going to die in this battle. Oh, yeah? Hey, Jehoshaphat, why don't you dress up like the king? And I'm going to pretend to be just a regular battle guy. And in the middle of all that, God's plan comes to pass. There's no way to avoid it. There's no way to avoid it. 
There's some steps that we take to try to avoid disasters, things that we do to try to uh, mitigate our, our, <laughs> our exposure to things, not to put too fine a point on it. But God's will is going to be done. It will be done. And this guy finds this out the hard way. The battle increased that day, and the king was propped up in his chariot facing the Syrians and died at evening. The blood ran out from the wound onto the floor of the chariot. Now that's important because of a prophecy given earlier about Ahab and Jezebel. So his blood drains out onto the floor of the chariot. Then as the sun was going down, a shout went throughout the army saying, every man to his city and every man to his own country. So the king died, Ahab's dead, and was brought to Samaria and they buried the king in Samaria. Then someone washed the chariot at a pool in Samaria and the dogs licked up his blood while the harlots bathed. So they take his chariot down to rinse it off, to get all the blood off of it, and the dogs licked it up, which is exactly what was prophesied about him, and all, all of his family members would have the blood licked by dogs and eaten by dogs, or if they were in the field, eaten by birds. According to the word of the Lord, which he had spoken, no way to avoid it. God's will was done. Now the rest of the acts of Ahab and all that he did, the ivory house, which, uh, ivory house which he built and all the cities that were built, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel? So Ahab rested with his fathers. Then Ahazai, uh, the, his son, reigned in his place. Now we've already read about Jehoshaphat. Skip to 51, and this is where we close. Ahazai, the son of Ahab, became king over Israel and Samaria in the 17th year of Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, and reigned two years over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord and walked in the way of his father and in the way of his mother and in the way of Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin. For he served Baal and worshiped him and provoked the Lord God of Israel to anger according to all that his father had done. Now, why, why would you end on a, such a discouraging note like that? The whole book is concluded with basically, and nobody learned their lesson. It was so clear. It was so obvious. And yet at the end of it, the son who gets to be king says, I think, I think the best choice for me is to do exactly what my sinning dad did. Because certainly the results will be different for me. I don't know what kind of parents you had. Mine were great. And I learned a lot. And I've grown a lot. And I, I, I owe a lot to them. Maybe you didn't have great parents. But you have a choice today. Am I going to continue in the path that my parents went down if they weren't great, if they weren't obedient to God, and hope that the circumstances and the outcomes are going to be different than what happened to them? Then you fit this category. Or today you can make a change. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. We're going to do it the biblical way. We're going to follow God's word. We're going to do what he says. He's going to be ruler and reign. He's going to be Lord. Everything he says in his word is truth. And I'm going to receive it with gladness. And my life's going to be blessed because his word says so. I'm going to be changed and transformed by the power of Christ in my life. The Holy Spirit is going to change me from the inside out. I'm going to let all that happen. You can make that choice. Just because they chose a life of death doesn't mean you have to. Choose life today. Let's pray. Lord, we love you and we thank you for your word. We thank you that... You speak the truth. All these things you say in the New Testament about the Old Testament, that these Old Testament scriptures are for our admonition. Lord, I pray that we're admonished today. I'm a little fiery today, God. It's so exciting to see a man of God in a situation like this by himself standing up for you. 
regardless of the pressure. He just wanted to be obedient to you. And God, we want that in our lives, that boldness. That was the one thing Paul asked people to pray for. When you pray for me, pray that I have boldness to preach the truth. Because there's going to come a time when our flesh, our cowardice, is going to try to rise up and tell us, just say what's easy. Just say what's necessary to get a smile on people's face so that you don't have to receive all those funny looks and the shaking of the heads. But we don't want that. We want the truth because the truth is loving. Your loving heart towards us, your care for us, is why you wrote this book. It's why you gave us your son, Jesus. It's why it's so important for us. Because you love us and you're for us and you want us to do well. You want us to have the life that was intended for us before we chose of the knowledge of good and evil, before we choose rebellion against you. We were supposed to be walking in the cool of the day with you. We were supposed to have such tight fellowship with you. Everything was great until we decided to rebel against you. So God, today, today we choose to follow you. Today we choose for you to be Lord of our lives. Today we choose you to be our Savior. We receive that forgiveness of sins this morning. We love you with all of our hearts. We throw up our hands and we receive you as our God. Help us to worship you in spirit and truth, to love you, to read your word, give us understanding, send your Holy Spirit to revive us, to change us from the inside out, that your word would be alive in our lives. And help us to be bold after that, to share your truth in love with those around us that so desperately need it. God, we love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.